Welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor of CIO. It's arguably one of the most used or overused terms in the tech industry, but there's no question the Internet of Things has huge potential to transform many facets of business, government and society. The ability to efficiently gather and act on large volumes of data and intelligence at the edge has already been shown to improve maintenance, safety, service and yields. Sectors such as mining, utilities, manufacturing, health, retail, financial services and others rollout of 5G mobile networks is expected to greatly accelerate uptake. So what do CIOs need to know about IoT? What are the pros and cons, myths versus realities? Is it as hard as it seems? You wouldn't normally think of the internet of things and politics together. Now our first guest on this episode of the CIO show is Ian Robinson, who's the CIO at Water New South Wales. Water, water New South Wales presides over arguably the most complex water system in all of Australia, and that's certainly saying something. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Great to have an opportunity to chat about this stuff. Welcome. Now, you've had to contend with challenges most organisations deploying IoT wouldn't even possibly imagine. That's right. I think one of the major challenges I've got in coming into Water New South Wales a couple of years ago is the legacy environment that's been built over a long time, trying to modernise that, bring disparate systems together. And when I mean that, a lot of our water monitoring capability is already telemetry-based. So we already have the, the foundation for an IOC system. Yeah. But it's highly arguable what the, what the value of that data is and how easily it is available to our community and constituents. Yeah. And w- w- water is such a political football in this country isn't it and 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 with good reason and and you seem to be whether you've liked whether you like it or not you seem to have found yourself at um kind of in the middle of it all really haven't you yeah it's really an exciting time to be here because you know we had the the matthews inquiry that found that the way some people are um taking water out of our system Mm -hmm. is non-compliant and we've had very limited Um, visibility, if you like, of what's going on in the river. Even though we've had a lot of data that we've collected, the transparency of that data, the presentation of that to the community and the ability for the community to know that they're doing things in a compliant way has been limited by very localised and singularly held knowledge. So our job is to really share that and make it available. And IoT offers a great opportunity to collect that data, collate it, analyse it and then present opportunities for our community to really leverage that. So g- g- give me some examples of, of, of how, you know, the, the I mean, obviously your IoT deployment is, is, a, is a moving beast, an enormous moving beast, uh, or feast rather. Um, give, me, give me some examples of, of you know, how IoT has, you know, made this process simpler for, for water New South Wales and for you. Sure. So, so one example I think that's, you know, commonly understood is the, the level of a river or the flow in a river, if you like, is what determines whether for um, people holding licences to withdraw water, um, you know, determines whether they can or not Mm -hmm. at certain flows. And so in a drought, for example, we're obviously very keen to protect town water supplies and uh, uh, environmental water, and irrigators really are the last people who can access that. So we need to make sure that they're um, armed with the right information about Firstly, is there enough water in the river right now? And if not, what they would love to know, if there's rain anywhere upstream of their site, when water might get to them, um, what could be the forecast for the future? 
And all of that comes from data on the ground measure, measuring real-time water flows. Local water utilities are very interested in water quality. So to the extent that in Sydney, for example, we, we measure a lot of quality parameters that ensures that the amount we spend on treating that water to make it potable for drinking um, is as low as possible. And, and one New South Wales charges responsibility for protecting catchments, monitoring the, the water quality in those catchments, and then providing that information to um, our stakeholders. What are some of these sensors that you that you're connecting with this project? Actually, give, give me an example of some of the some of the specific you know data that's that's coming out of some of these sensors. Obviously, we 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 have location which yeah. is important yeah. that relates to you know the, the rules around that area yep we have the flow rate in the river the quantity of water in yep. a dam yep. the quality of water so turbidity or color yeah salinity in some cases right so chemical yeah. composition as well that, yeah. that's right yeah. and so, so that gives you a sense of in in a big dam what level of offtake you yeah. take so that you get the cleanest water when there's a lot of sediments that are sitting in that depth yeah. Um, it, it, one of the key projects we're doing at the moment in IOC is rolling out a, a groundwater monitoring system that allows us to measure regularly water levels in a water table below the surface that can't be seen. Mm. And again, there's sort of rules around who can access the water table. And often in a water scarcity environment, groundwater is the only available water that's um, available. Yeah. And so providing that information back to people who then have to make assessments on can we license another user to access that aquifer is absolutely key. Yeah. All those things are often done by people having to go out throughout the you know the rural parts of um, the remote areas in New South Wales and IOC allows us to remove the need for those people to go out there and measure remotely that information and get a, a real-time view of the status of the network or yeah. the, the river system if you like. I mean, it's just, it just seems like a mind-numbingly onerous task to be doing it any other way than how you've now recently begun to do it. And, and of course, you know, you must have had a vast, vast quantity of, of legacy systems, and not just legacy systems, but legacy, you know, attitudes, I suppose, where people have, 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 have been doing things one way, not just for years or decades, but possibly you know, maybe a century or more. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges we've had is the fragmentation of various components of monitoring of the, the river systems. Yeah. Done by, historically, lots of different agencies. Mm. What Water New South Wales has done is brought that together and the opportunity to harmonise that, yeah. get a standardised process, use, uh, you know, things like the Azure Data Lake to then collect that data into a single source area, provide a data catalogue that then allows stakeholders to say, that's the data set I want, make it open and available to the community, but also build on top of that analysis and portals that allow people to have value-added services so that they can start to see what's coming at them in the future, not just what's the state of the river right now. And and to, to do that, you really need to bring it all together. Yeah. And what I think the historical, as you said, difficulty has been two things. One is that kind of manual mentality of labour is cheap and travelling around the countryside is, is is not so expensive and collecting manual samples is sometimes required yeah. versus the idea that actually now we've got advanced communication systems, cellular is you know increasingly um, ubiquitous with NBIOT and satellite now being available yeah. so that we can bring that data back cheaply and start to replace that 
humans irregular and infrequent visit to a site with 15 minute reads of um, sensors that are that are put out there very cheaply and run on batteries. Yeah, yeah, and of course you have you have a dizzying array of stakeholders as well, don't you? I mean, it's not just farmers. You have yeah, yeah that's right. We're not just like a I guess a, a commercial enterprise that mm. focuses purely on customer value proposition and payment by a customer for a service. We have a whole range of stakeholders in the ecosystem. Zero Meteorology relies heavily on our data to, to inform the Australian public. A lot of community organisations are very interested in environmental water and how we're managing the, the health of wetlands and the Indigenous landowners are very keen to understand how we're making sure they've still got access to their land rights and water rights. Yeah. And then we've got our customers who are very interested in making sure they can make a living out of their agricultural farming proposition and all of those people have often competing requirements and our yeah. job isn't to get in the middle of who gets what but to provide the facts about what's available, yeah. who's using that water and how it's best being used and how it can optimise, yeah. if you like, the delivery of that water to meet their availability allocations. Yeah, well, I guess as we're seeing, getting in the middle of who wants what could be a very frightening prospect. I want to go back to the. <laughs> I want to go back to the data lake. Very cute that New South Wales has built a, a data lake. Um, so this, as your data lake, I understand this is the core of your. Um, what I, what I what I presume is still a relatively nascent um, artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, driven initiative supporting this IoT deployment, right? That's right. We, we've traditionally had expert systems that are very narrowly focused. Um, and what the data lake provides us is the opportunity to pull that, all that different data in from different expert systems yep. and rebuild those algorithms so that they're much more generic, shareable, and um, able to be used by others. And then apply, as you said, artificial intelligence on top of that yeah. so that we can take some of that manual manipulation that occurs in spreadsheets out of the game yep. um, to learn the types of decisions that people are making and to anticipate those with looking for the right data, looking for the right anomalies and then presenting those to people so they don't have to search in massive databases and real-time data series, data lake areas. So it, all of this is about improving decision support and making low-value activity higher-value opportunities. Yeah, no. Look, it's fascinating stuff, and 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 so so important for anybody who knows, lives in Australia, and knows anything about Australia. The management of water is is about as important as it as it gets in the, on the government level, mate. And thanks so much for sharing those insights with us, and we look forward to having you back on the show again sometime soon. Pleasure, thanks, David. Joining us now is Ben Waterhouse, Chief Information Officer with Coates Hire, Australia's largest equipment hire company. Ben, welcome to the CIO show. Thank you. Appreciate uh, coming along. So, look, talk, tell me a little bit about how Coates began on its IoT journey. Yeah, good, good, good question. You know, IoT for us has been something that's been going on for a little while now. I mean, if you look at our our organisation, we are we're somewhat the poster child for for any organisation that wants to sell IoT technology. Right. We've got the better part of a quarter of a million serialised assets around the country in, in various it's different locations. Somewhat that, breathtaking, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and so obviously there's a desire to try and track those and, and, and add additional value. So it's something we've been we've been working on for quite a while. Yeah, where it kind of originally kicked off was uh, as the technology became more you know, known in the marketplace. We mm. we had both internal stakeholders as well as our customers talking to us a little bit about it. Yep. 
the gap was, you know, what, what can we do with this? How do we actually demonstrate value, um, especially on a, on a large scale deployment? And then that sort of culminated when some of our newer equipment we were buying was, was already fitted with some form of IoT tech. Right. But that then brought additional problems. So what we ended up with is a situation where, oh, this particular piece of machinery has something from the manufacturer. I can log on to the manufacturer's portal and I can see some great data. But then a different piece of equipment over here from a different manufacturer might have also come fitted with something, but I had to log on to a different portal and see that data. Right. So lots of sort of disparate systems, I guess. So about or two years ago, 18 months, two years ago. And what did you do to of, bring it all together? Yeah, so about 18 months, um, I guess two years ago, we, we sat down and went, well, let's think about this strategically. Where do we want to go as an organization? Um, and, and how do we want to, I guess, answer this problem? Mm. And looked at, I guess, where we wanted to demonstrate value or generate value. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, I guess the difference for us was rather than necessarily look at the internal use cases for IoT that you know, many people, and there are some, and we certainly have achieved some, but rather than look at those internal use cases, we started to look at, well, what does it mean for the customer? Right, yeah. Our customers were talking to us about IoT, but really they were seeing it um, you know, just as a dot on map and, and, and kind of a, a new technology that they wanted without necessarily understanding what it, what it meant. Sure. Um, so with that customer-focused lens in mind, we, we set out to... Uh, build out our own IoT data platform that allowed us to consolidate this information um, from whether it be from OEMs, um, the new equipment coming into our fleet, or whether it was uh, pieces of equipment that we retrofitted technology onto to provide um, IoT uh, information yep. back. And, and in doing that, we could then give the customers direct access to this information, right. which then started off the journey. Well, now we've got it. Um, it's consolidated. What does it really mean for the customer? Yeah. So working through with the customers, and we had a couple of pilot customers in sort of some industrial areas. Yeah. Uh, well, now you've got this. What does it mean? Yeah. And interestingly, probably the biggest takeaway or the biggest value add was around uh, productivity gains. So um, if you think about our business model, it's about hiring equipment and you know, am I hiring the right amount of equipment? Yeah. Uh, is it in the right places within my site and can I get some optimization? Yeah. So designing our, our portals and our tools to help the customer actually answer those questions right. um, really allowed us to demonstrate significant commercial value um, back to the organization, which then allowed us to sort of I guess, demonstrate that the strategy is sound and, 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 and kick off, which was great. Well, it's, it's, it seems to be the mother of all moving parts um, challenges, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and one way to put it, I mean, I guess the other complexity that I probably just brushed over yeah. was, you know, in the space of two years, the technology has changed a lot. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about, you know, a fairly significant investment, um, if you want to do this at scale, mm. uh, that just adds another level of complexity. Yeah. I, I remember talking to my board probably uh, maybe 12 months ago about the fact that, you know, we can tell you what's happening right now and what the future looks like, but I can guarantee you that in five years' time, the IoT landscape will be very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't exactly know where it'll be, but it will be very different. When you say the techn- you feel like- the technology's changed a lot in the last last couple of years, what are the key ways, key, key senses in which it's, it has changed in your view? I mean, the, probably the obvious one that I think you know most people would be aware of is the 3G to 4G, and you know now 
encroaching into 5G telecommunication yeah, um, yeah. backhaul. The, the other one is probably around some of the low power uh, WAN technologies. Yes. So, you know, which which changes again the telecommunications element of IoT, which yeah. is, to be honest, one of the biggest costs when you start to really analyze IoT. So for us, it was a really really important area. And, you know, our, our approach to, to dealing with that is that we very much have a hybrid model. So, right. you, know, we've got, you know, we've got some IoT sensors that are backhauled via normal sort of 4G networks. Yep. We continue to watch where 5G is going. Yeah. But we also um, have the concept of smart job sites that we're starting to trial, which are using you know, low-power WAN technology to reduce the cost, which means we can push IoT further down Important do you see technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and extracting for extracting value from IoT deployments? Uh-huh. Good question, um, and, and I'll, I'll cage that with a. I'm not sure yet. I mean, <laughs> I think for us, who is? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's something we we are ever so cautiously playing with. You know, we 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 are generating more and more data on a daily basis into yeah. our into our data platform, yeah. um, and as that expands. Um, we kind of know there's going to be some gems of information in there that something like machine learning or advanced analytics yeah. will be ripe for pulling out and, and, and telling us things that we otherwise didn't know, but we don't know what that is yet. So yeah. it's just something we approach and uh, as that data grows, how can we use it? You know, How can we think differently about it yeah. um, from yeah. some of our traditional analytics methods and, and keep, a, keep a close eye on in terms of what we do know so far, I mean, what what have been the key learnings for you along the way with this IoT project, and and you know what 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 are some of the things that you might have done differently? Yeah, key learnings is an interesting one. I mean, I think for me is probably the the key learning was we for, and this might be unique to our organisation, but for us, shifting the focus and, and, and looking at the customer value generation yeah. was actually an easier business case than than thinking about the internal optimization yep. available. Right. Um, now, that would obviously shift depending on the organization, but for us, that's what it looked like. And then the, the nuance to that was what the customers thought they wanted mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, they wanted it and they liked it, but didn't actually generate any commercial value to them. So working with them and going, well, what can we do with the data differently? And, ah, we can use it to actually uh, you know, show you what your, what your fleet productivity looks like and then that translates to a you know a, a, a dollar or commercial outcome was probably one of the really interesting lessons fairly early on. And then you know the backing that up was also offering different levels of service. So you know, some people can analyze data themselves and can generate that outcome themselves, whereas in some cases people need help doing that. So yeah. actually offering that that service or that value add uh, yeah. to then get the outcome. Yeah. You know, the age old it's not always about the technology. The process and the people are actually just as important. Now, IoT is no different. It is, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this is this segues nicely into my next question. I mean, obviously, with such extraordinary volumes of data, I and mean, when we're using that, you know, we're using that word appropriately. I think it's probably a slightly overused word in the tech industry, but genuinely extraordinary volumes of data. This is a particular security challenge, really, isn't it? It is, and it's something we watch very closely. I mean, IoT is, again, nuanced in that you've got this challenge where to make it valuable, you want to provide people access to the data. 
like you need to do that in a way that you can sort of somewhat guarantee security. And, yeah. and again, for us, we had some unique challenges there, which again were the drivers for us building our own data platform, where our particular assets, we have an asset that's connected to the internet, it's sending this, this great rich data. That asset sits with one customer today, uh, and it's perfectly reasonable that that customer wants direct access to that information. Yeah. But then tomorrow or the next day, it's off with another customer, yeah. and that you know, customer B needs to be able to access that data but should not and mm. cannot mm. see the data from customer A. So we have that, uh, I guess, overlay as well, which just provides additional complexity. And, and, I, and I think security as, as IoT develop will only get more important because what you'll see is as the, um, the edge devices you know, get more complex and become you know, basically mini computers, they're also going to become a target for attack vectors, yeah. um, which is something we're, we're cautious about. Yeah. Um, haven't had to deal with yet, but certainly very cautious about from a, from a security point of view. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think it's safe, safe to assume that, um, that somewhat ominous threat is going to be looming soon enough. So what's next, mate? We'll tell, give, give us an idea about the, um, you know, the, the roadmap moving forward now for Coates IT. Um, project? Yeah, so uh, very exciting. Um, as I said, for us, it was about nailing down that strategy and then proving that we could execute on that and demonstrate that customer value. So mm. we worked with a couple of key customers to do that. With that sort of successful pilot, we've now got commitment to uh, effectively retrofit a better part of 12,000 of our uh, powered fleet. Wow. Um, and that's on top of, and that'll be over the next uh, 24 months, and then that's on top of all new equipment now coming into our uh, into our network. And, mm. and we buy a, a fairly large amount of new equipment every year. Um, all new equipment coming in is also connected via either the OEMs or, a, or an IoT um, device that we provide. So the, the aim is just to continue to basically offer this technology to, to more and more customers on more and more job sites. Yeah. Um, we're also playing with some other stuff. I mentioned the smart job site concept. Um, that's something we're, we're piloting again with a, a pilot customer now to make sure we generate the right solution. But that's about tracking much smaller equipment, uh, potentially um, a movement around the site as well uh, with, with smaller, very low-cost trackers. So yeah. very exciting. Um, it, that's... I think uh, I was going to say. I think I think in a few years' time it'll look very different, but in a, in a good way. Well, that's good to know, mate. Look, fascinating stuff. Ben, thanks so much for sharing that with us and we look forward to having you back on the show sometime soon. Oh, thank you very much. I uh, enjoy the chat. Thanks, mate. Our final guest in this episode of the CIO Show is Kristen Steenstrop, who's a distinguished VP analyst at Gartner. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. Now, if you were trying to explain IoT to someone un- utterly unfamiliar with the concept, where on earth would you start? It's a good question and one that I actually have had to deal with. Mm. The trouble is that IoT, Internet of Things, is abstract and largely invisible. So I'd try to use a practical physical analogy, a metaphor for IoT. Mm. If you think of the transportation industry in total as a metaphor, it's not a bad one because it's very wide in scope. There's lots of different categories. There's private cars, there's trucks, there's planes, there's trains. It's wide geographically. It covers distance. Mm. There's endpoints that have to be considered, and there's parts of it that are essentially invisible. You don't know what's happening while it's trafficking. So IoT is, from an electronic perspective, capturing data like transportation, lots of variations, categories, endpoints to consider, distance to travel. Sure. 
and there's different there's very important distinctions and categorical distinctions is there not in, in in the industry yeah absolutely one of the things we started to think about a couple of years ago at Gartner was that IOT is not a one size fit all mm. and the technologies that you use might vary depending on how you're using it we quickly realized that there was three major categories for this consumer IOT mm. which is IOT in the things that you and I might touch in the home yeah so enhancing those products that we use. Mm. Commercial IoT, which is IoT in environments where consumers interact. Think of retail locations, shopping malls, roads, yeah. traffic systems. Yeah. And then there's industrial IoT, which is the area that the consumer won't ever see. It's very much in the back room or, or out in the middle of the desert yeah. where we're using technology to enhance an industrial process to yeah. improve its safety, reliability, efficiency. Mm-hmm. So if you're an organisation such as a automotive manufacturer, you kind of span all three, right? Absolutely. Automotive is a really interesting, unique industry in many ways because it's a industrial product at the back end yeah. But it's, if you like, the largest consumer product that we encounter. Yeah. From a you know consumer perspective, it's a fridge with wheels and a steering wheel. Now, in that <laughs> I sense, guess it is yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a big white good. Yeah. So, in that sense, we've got uh, IoT in the vehicle yeah. to enhance the experience. Yep. So there's a lot of consumer facing, and we see automotive companies partnering with Apple and Google to enhance the IoT environment in the vehicle. We also see traffic control systems, road sensors, etc., which we interact with when we're driving. And of course, the automotive manufacturer themselves has got a factory that is potentially full of industrial IoT. So it's a good example of crossing all of those boundaries. Yeah, indeed. And then of course you've got you've got industries like healthcare, retail vast numbers of customers, vast numbers of data, of, of, um, of data points, right? Um, what, yes. What, what, what are CIOs working at the coalface of those sorts of organisations? What, what, what do they need to know about IoT? What they need to know is probably not just the use case of what you can do it, but to get a good understanding of why you're doing it. What problem are you trying to solve? We do see some experimentation and pilot projects, and let's just learn about IT, IoT and see what it can do. But a, a real formal approach where you're going to invest money and time should be thought of, what are we trying to solve? Are we trying to capture more data about our consumers, mm. or are we trying to enhance their experience and make it easier for them to do whatever it is they're doing with us and transact? Yeah. Uh, so... You can also combine those, but as we see with a lot of consumer-facing products, we improve the convenience, but we offer up data as an exchange to that. Mm. Privacy considerations also in there. So the company knows more about us and hopefully can use that data sourced from IoT sensors to provide a better service or a better product. Mm -hmm. So there becomes a relationship, a handoff between the consumer and the provider. Yeah. I mean, that, this is all, you know, in an ideal world um, with, with, with such a, a fast-growing sector and there's so much talk about IoT and, of course, there is this extraordinary complexity within it. Um, I'm wondering whether you're, whether you're finding or I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are in terms of um, the less effective, more hyped end of the market that CIOs perhaps should be 
wary of? What are some of the you know what are some of the red flags that that CIOs should potentially look out for in terms of suppliers that may be um, promising a little more than they're able to deliver? It's a question that becomes apparent when you see companies marketing themselves as IoT solutions. Yeah. Now we don't see it really plausible that somebody gives you a complete end-to-end mm. IoT solution. No. IoT providers are giving you part of that end-to-end solution or maybe multiple parts. Again, not unlike the transportation metaphor. Yep. Nobody delivers an entire transportation infrastructure. So with IoT, you've got sensor providers, mm. the little chip or device that goes on the machine. You've got communications. You've got data gateways. You've got data platform and aggregation orchestration of the data, and you've got analytics to examine that data. All of those are part of an IoT solution, but it is very likely that they're going to be provided by multiple vendors. So be cautious of anybody saying we have an end-to-end solution because there will be third-party and other products in there. And as a CIO, think about how you're going to put that together with components with partners that are fit to purpose for mm-hmm. your industry, mm-hmm. for your use case, is it a consumer use case, is it an industrial use case? How are you going to fit that together then becomes your task as an integrator of those components to create that solution. Mm-hmm. Now, a- another technology that's that's being talked about a lot and arguably um, overhyped is 5G. Now, of course, 5G is, is uh, touted to be um, to be providing a, a major shot in the arm to the IoT sector. Is that, is that what you're seeing or, or is that um, should people perhaps be a little bit more, um, more uh, cautious in terms of predictions about how 5G is going to boost IoT? I don't think they need to be cautious. I think we can be optimistic and what it is is really not a transformational technology from an IoT perspective. It's an accelerator. Uh, it's, if you, you again use my transportation analogy, it's rocket fuel. So we will do more faster. Yeah. So yeah. there'll be a, a, a lower cost, a lower complexity to be able to pull more data in. Mm. It doesn't remove the responsibility of things like working out what your use case is, why you're collecting this data, and also the security of the environment. Yes. But you will have more capacity to get this capture done once you decide what your use case and mission is. Yeah. And, and what, are, what are some of the security challenges and pitfalls in your view? The security challenges are, are, are many, but to give you a framing of, of how under-addressed it is, a recent survey of ours said that 80% of companies have an IoT initiative, but less than a third really? of them, <laughs> yeah. they say, they have an IoT initiative. I choose my words carefully, David. Yeah. Uh, that is the claim. Sometimes we get a little bit of claim inflation in surveys. Yeah. And they have an initiative, which might be that they've got a coffee pot installed with a Wi-Fi, or it might be that they've got an autonomous haul truck in uh, uh, iron ore mine. Both of those still my answer. Uh, But the important part of that survey result was that less than a third of them were confident in their security of that environment. Mm. And that comes about because sometimes the IoT projects are not being done by the CIO or under the direction of CISO security person. So some of it is slipping through the cracks. Now, where that's causing challenges is that the endpoint devices and the gateways and even the communications may be subject to intrusion and interference. Now, this can go all the way from 
an intrusion that captures and takes consumer data, which makes the headlines and it gets everybody nervous. Yeah. It can also be an interference with an industrial process, which we've seen, which makes companies very nervous about how that can be intruded on. Mm. Or it might be capturing information and causing false positives. Because if you're relying on the data validity to make decisions and somebody's feeding you bad data deliberately, they're going to undermine whatever process is that you're doing. Yeah. Now, there is one other aspect of the security, which is maintaining and, and housekeeping and hygiene of the software along this path. Mm-hmm. A lot of software updates, software management, cybersecurity works very effectively inside your four walls because you can control it. But cybersecurity and software updates and patches on devices that are remote or now in the possession of the consumer are very difficult to maintain, very difficult to support, and sometimes overlooked by providers. So in effect, they're delivering software which is vulnerable and can't be fixed easily by the provider. Yeah. And I guess guess the other thing with IoT projects is if you're talking about some of the the industries that we, we just highlighted, the, the the tentacles, for want of a better expression, of IT projects go very, very deep and far to the edge. And I suppose what that means is that um, this these these are projects that are that are potentially a lot larger than CIOs, a lot larger than the IT departments themselves. I mean, presumably, presumably, in order for them to succeed, there's a hell of a lot of buy-in that's required right across the organisation, right? Absolutely. Uh, so. We see quite a lot of IoT projects being initiated not by the CIO but by the head of marketing because right. they want to capture more data from the product yeah, yeah. or the head of engineering mm-hmm. who's running a industrial plant mm-hmm. or a supply chain manager who wants to monitor his pallets as they go in and out. Mm-hmm. They'll often start that project and go some way down the path before the CIO is participating, invited or becomes aware of it. What CIOs should get themselves into the mindset of is having a relationship with the parts of the company that might be initiating these, uh, if possible, providing leadership, but at the very least getting involved and saying, we're not here to stop you doing these projects. We're here to help you get them successful and sustainable and good for the future of the company. And for that, we just need to look at some things like security, how we're going to have those relationships with the technology providers, making sure there's compatibility so that the supply chain of information from sensor up to analytics will hold true as we go forward. Mm. All those, maybe to non-IT people, somewhat annoying factors of trying to make sure it continues to work. Mm. But the CIO should do that with a mindset of offering, here's how we're going to make a sustainable, successful IoT solution and not appearing to put roadblocks into uh, starry-eyed ideas from various line of business managers. Man, indeed. So where where do you see IoT in the next two, three, four, five years and beyond? I think IoT will, will continue to evolve, but it will also continue to go off in those three tangents, the consumer product world, which is going to be about capturing data from customers and balancing its convenience. Yep. The commercial world to improve that safety and uh, and security of an environment you live in, mm. but I think the the biggest area is going to be the industrial world because that's the one with a solid ROI that a project will have a dollar payoff if you can prove, for example, better reliability of industrial equipment or lower fuel usage or lower energy usage because of sensors yeah. that you've got in systems. Mm. That's going to be the biggest uptake 
because really we needed a solid ROI to justify the spend mm. uh, and to justify the time it's going to take to do some of these projects. Yeah, well, and as, as ever, challenging to make the business case without a demonstrable ROI. Christian, wonderful insights. Thanks for joining us and um, we look forward to having you back on the show soon. Thank you very much, David. Pleasure being here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. At first, the cloud proved itself to be more secure than many first feared, especially those feeling leery about storing data and running systems even remotely sensitive anywhere other than on-premise. Yet as cloud computing has become more pervasive, complex and dynamic, it's become clear that it represents an entirely new technology landscape with new and yet to be realised vulnerabilities demanding new thinking and greater vigilance than ever. COVID-19 has brought that home. In our next episode, we talk to technical and industry experts about the various stages of developing a secure environment in today's multi-cloud landscape. We hope you can join us.